0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today we have someone who's done over 200, maybe 300% or something ridiculous in terms of her quota attainment. It's the number one AE at Orem, Daisy Chung. Nick, why should people listen? We talked about stuff like offering
1: options in a negotiation to get your prospect to make a decision and close a deal. We talked about battling competitors and how to actually complement your competitors to help win a competitive deal. We talked about using the word how as a way to figure out how to get things done with customers. This one was filled with little tidbits that you can go and take and use today.
0: Three and two and one and take and use it now.
1: Today's Deal Acceleration Cheat Code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers
0: And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.
1: Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. All right, Daisy, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways, so let's get your three.
2: Awesome. Happy to dive into it. So, action item one provide options in your offering. People like to choose, and at the end of the day, when you close out a deal, they're going to either choose your competitor do nothing, or they choose you and you won the deal. And so when you provide options within your packages, whether it's two pricing options between headcount or two product line in your packages, you're going to end up having them choose one or the other versus them thinking about their competitor or the do nothing option.
1: Beautiful. What's number two, Daisy?
2: Number two, appreciate your competitors. So it's very often known to to never downplay a competitor. That's never a good look. Let's take a step up and appreciate them. So when someone says, hey, if we use competitor X, Y, Z, say, that's awesome, glad to hear you're using them. They're really great at doing X, Y, Z. And you list out all the items where they do do well, and these are reasons you typically disqualify out a prospect. That way, one, you get to disqualify them out, and two, you don't look like the bad guy bashing out your competitors. It'll also lead to storytelling where you can say, the reason why our product was created was because of these gaps we saw, and then you list all the pros of your product.
1: Very nice. What's number three, Daisy? Round us out.
2: Number three is the power of how. So a lot of times at the end of the deal, when your economic buyer or the signatory is not fully bought in yet, you ask a lot of what and when questions to your champion. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what are they looking to sign? Things like that. These just give you a yes or no or a very specific answer. When you start asking questions like, hey, how are we getting this done? How do we get their buy-in? Help me help you here. That pushes your champion to start thinking of an action plan of what we need to do to get this to the finish
0: line. All right, folks. So for everyone listening, Daisy works at a company called Orem. And what Orem essentially does is it allows you to dial multiple numbers at the same time so you don't just sit there listening to a dial tone, right? And so naturally, Daisy, I imagine you're selling to a lot of SDR managers, or that's where some deal cycles start. But you know that's usually not where the deal cycle is going to end, And so let's say you got to the end of a good discovery or maybe even a good demo with an SDR manager. Where do you go from there? And how do you walk that SDR manager through the process on how to buy software?
1: It's a
2: great question, Armand. So at Aura, we like to follow the process of Medic. And the process with Medic is use Medic from start to finish, not just do that beginning during discovery, not just towards the end. You do it every step of the process. And that's when the end the process when you're closing the deals could be a lot more predictable. So from the very beginning, I'm asking, hey, what are you looking for? Who's gonna sign? What's that process look like? How do they typically sign? We show X, Y, Z. Is this what's gonna take to get it done? You get into the, uh, the pilot portion when you're testing them out the product. You ask the same questions. You meet another person. Let's say they add in their colleague or their boss. You ask them the exact same question. You wanna get every perspective of how this deal's gonna close, what success they need to see. To so the very end, you're reconfirming what they stated from the beginning to end. And it's a lot more predictable how you can drive this close to the close.
1: The scenario you just talked about, it sounds like the prospect has a pretty concrete idea of like what they're looking for. And at least they know some details around how they might get a deal done. I imagine that you get prospects who might be like director level or manager level who like, they suspect that they have a problem and they're sort of looking to solve it. They might come to you and be like, we don't have enough top of funnel pipeline. And like, that's sort of all they know. And they don't necessarily know why. Can you explain to me like an initial discovery call with somebody, the first time you meet with them and they're like, we sort of have this vague problem. How do you take them from that to, okay, like I need to progress through looking at Orem?
2: Whenever you feel like what they're giving you is very surface level, you want to dive deeper ask why at least three times that same question and you're going to start see their answer tweak a little bit, a little bit, a little bit until it's concrete to what they actually mean. So if they're saying, hey, uh, you know, we need more pipeline here. Oh, great. I hear you there. Why do you need more pipeline? What's going on? They'll say, oh yeah, our, our SDRs aren't hitting their number. It's crunch time. We got to hit the number. Oh, okay. Why are they not hitting their number? Well, you see, we had a lot of switches happening internally. We just changed accounts. Things are getting messed up, and you know the team needs a little more time to acclimate. Okay, why, why do we end up doing account switches at this time of the year? Every level you're asking why, why, why for that exact same question they proposed in the beginning, you'll start getting deeper and deeper and deeper to see what the root of the issue is. I'd add another layer. I challenge that we we push this manager director to add on their VP, to add on the CRO, so you can ask the exact same questions, and you'll see that their answer is gonna be a little different each person you ask.
0: Could you walk through how you get access to power? Because I imagine a lot of SDR managers are going to want to go and make that case to their boss on their own.
2: Yeah, so it starts with with the mini medic. So in the beginning, when you're you're setting yourself up for a pilot, you want to ask what the decision process is, what the criteria are. I always switch the order, I say, hey, great, we're excited to do the pilot, what are you looking for, what's going to drive success? So I ask that question first, they'll say XYZ is going to be successful, then I say, great, if we can get you XYZ, what does the process look like, how do you buy software like this if we get you XYZ? That leads to a very easy way for them to say, oh, well, I, I tell my boss, and my boss tells finance, and then we put it all together and it gets approved that way. I said, okay, awesome. Well, does your boss have 10 minutes next week? Love to show them an executive demo. That way they know exactly what's going on. Worst case in the world is you love it, your reps love it, and your boss just wasn't too aware. So let's get them in front of the demo right now.
1: One of the nuanced things you're doing is you're having the person validate the exit criteria of the pilot before you enter the pilot. What you're saying is what do you actually need to see for you to feel like this thing is a success? Because when you go into a pilot or a test of something and like the other person hasn't defined what great looks like or what a thumbs up looks like, you're in this like, weird place where you have no idea what it actually takes to get the deal. Do you need to do a a B plus job? Do you need to do an A minus job? Do you need to do something that's totally and utterly unachievable? And it's probably not even worth doing the pilot at that point. So asking the other person to define their success criteria is essential before doing any pilot. You talked about this executive level demo with the CRO. And one of the things I know you're a big proponent of is the concise demo. And I'm curious to hear what thoughts you have as it relates to that.
2: Yes, absolutely. And the reason why I set 10-minute demos because we needed to be concise to get them on that call, but you also have to deliver a very concise, valuable demo. So what that means is in a demo, you know exactly the key points you should be hitting. You should know what's important to that person and know where to drive it towards. You should know what you want at the end of the demo. Is your goal to get another call? Is your goal to start talking about contracts? Is your goal to set up a POC? Whatever it is, you have to have that in mind, that's what we're driving towards. In a concise demo, every minute counts. If a sentence does not add value, don't say it. And it could be just little things. Hey, right now we're gonna go ahead and click this box. Don't say it, just click the box and say, this box does this, this box does that. You gotta just keep saying things that add value and take out all the fluff. Um, From there, it's really important, I think the power of interruption. So it's really, really important to understand when to interrupt, and how to interrupt in a way that's not rude. Make sure you prep for it. Make sure you know exactly how that person operates, what that person likes to see, what that person's verbiage is like. So ask your manager, ask your champion before the demo. Do a 10-minute prep. Say, hey, super excited to to demo your boss here. How do they typically buy software? What's important to them? Are they data-driven? Are they focused on, hey, my reps love it. I'll love the tool. What kind of buyer are they? what's important to them. Is it the cost savings? Is it how this feature works? Is it the coaching piece? So once you get that data, when you do the concise exact demo, you wanna focus just on those points. You wanna talk like them. You wanna respond like them. You wanna look at their LinkedIn beforehand, see if there's any mutual connection. Know as much as you can, so you don't waste anyone's time. It's very specific to that higher level person.
0: How do you think about the flow of features that you show. My guess is you're not showing everything in Orem every single time. So everything from what you show to the order in which you show it, how do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I love that question. Um, at Orem, what we sell on, we sell on the excitement, the sizzle of Orem because Aurum is a product that is new in the market. And usually when we show it, everyone's like blown away what it could do. And, and so we want to sell on the excitement. And what we do is we show we walk through the idea of ORM. like we first talk about what, what it is, what it does, how it helps, and then you start showing the pieces of it. And when we show the pieces of it, we show the, we show generally like you know how you set up the, the tool, and then you go straight into the tool. What we do at ORMs is we do a live demo. And so I recommend as live as you can of your product, the more excitement you're gonna get, because you're gonna see in real time how you're using the tool. And then from there, everything you show has to sound and feel like, and on top of that, we have this. And in addition, we have this. So they're already impressed in the get-go and every layer adding is another layer that adds another sizzle, another excitement for them.
1: Daisy, you talked about in the beginning of that meeting, you explained the idea of Aurum, the premise of it, the context of here is how this thing works. And I think about the demos of mine that have gone off the rails the most. It's when the prospect doesn't actually understand the premise of what my thing does. And I have to imagine the same would go for Orem where like the demos that you have that don't go well, or where they just, they don't get it. And so I'm curious when you're communicating the idea of Orem in the beginning of the meeting, how are you doing that? Are you doing anything like using special visual elements? Are you asking your champion to explain it for you? Like, How do you get the CRO, Armand, who's got an attention span of three minutes, to grasp what the heck you do and actually lean in for the rest of the meeting?
2: Yeah, of course, Nick. So the the first thing is you have to ask the question, hey, what got you interested in taking today's call? I know SDR manager had brought you on, told you a little bit about it, but what got you personally interested? That opens up a can of worms. They'll say, yeah, I've heard about you guys before. I've never heard about you guys, but my manager said great things and I thought I'd check it out. Whatever they give you, whatever bits and pieces, you'll know how much knowledge they have on your product. And from there, you can give that quick one-minute overview. We don't use any special effects or anything. We simply just use our website. We go to our website front page, and usually there's a couple of sentences bullet pointing what the tool does. And, of course, you don't read out the bullet points, but you just share, hey, this is what we do, the one-liner, and then your less-than-one-minute elevator pitch of what it does, how it helps, based on what he shared of his uh, prior knowledge about it.
0: I imagine you get a lot of grouchy old VPs of sales like me who think, Nah, back in my day, I used to pick up every single dial and I made every cold call and I researched my cold calls. And in all seriousness, I my guess is like the moment you even give the premise of what Orem does, they're probably already thinking of some objections around – oh, but people can't research if they're making multiple dials or they're going to get thrown into calls unprepared if they're making multiple dials at the same time. And so do you get ahead of those objections? Do you just wait till those come up live in demos? How do you deal with those when you know those are probably some of the hot buttons in your product?
2: Overall, it's knowing your ICP, your ideal customer profile. You got to know them through and through. And as you mentioned, there's a whole array of head of sales. There's, There's some who are a little more grouchy, a little more skeptical. There are some who are like, Excited for new technology, there's some in the middle, but you have to know every layer, every personality. So when that comes up, it's no surprise. You know exactly who you're dealing with, you know exactly what to say. And from there, it's really a green understanding. Orem is special because it's a sales tool and we're all sales folks here. So it's very relatable. Hey, Armand, I hear you. I get it. I felt the exact same until I tested out I'm Like, I also thought, how could this work? Why, you know, I'm very strategic. I like to research before. I like to take it slow. But that's exactly what Aura was created for. That's how we think as well. We want to make sure it's not just volume, it's quality, and it's well-researched and reps are prepared. Because at the end of the day, it's an ROI tool. If you don't see the ROI, you're not going to buy. And if you do end up buying for whatever reason, if you don't see that ROI continuously, you're going to, you're going to not renew with us. If all our clients don't renew, we're out of business. And that's why we do a free pilot. That's why it's ROI-driven.
1: I want to talk about the toughest objection for some people, which is when you're dealing with competitors. And so, a couple different scenarios I want to run by you, Daisy. You've got someone, VPS sales, and they say, "I've used a power dialer before, and it didn't work." How do you respond to something like that?
2: When something like that happens, you, you have to put on your curiosity cap. You can't just start saying like, "Well, my power dial is going to work." You have to understand. Hey, I hear you. That that sucks. Be empathetic, address it, and say, "What went wrong? What's happening?" they'll start saying things, whatever happened, like, oh, too slow, there was clunky issues, customer success wasn't there, or my team just never used it then you could get to the root of the problem. And back to what I said originally, you want to ask the three whys. After they say something, ask why again. Oh, why did your reps not use it? Oh, they didn't use it because uh, they didn't like it. Oh, why didn't they like it? You want to drill into the very end so you can see exactly what the core issue is. And from there, you take those issues and relate it back to how exactly that's what your product does not do. That's exactly why your product was created. And you can talk through the differences there.
0: I'm curious, I feel like, a pilot of Oram is one of like the easiest to quantify pilots because you're probably like forexing people's dial volume or something like that. But I'm curious, like, what kind of success criteria or things are you tracking when you go into a pilot to make sure that you don't just have these runaway POCs?
2: Yeah, so it, it's gonna come down to understanding their data and their reps. The reasons why at Oram POCs don't do well is because one, if they have really bad data. They're going to still have really bad data with and We just get through bad data faster. So we got to understand, troubleshoot, and sometimes not a good fit. Maybe they're just a company that has horrible data and phone doesn't work. Whatever the case is, that's okay to walk away. And the second piece is reps adoption. Like we can't force reps to use it if your reps are the reps that will purposely hang up a phone call. We can't really fix that either. So you have to understand what kind of reps you're dealing with. And that's what happens during the, we call it trial scoping. We scope it out and we lay out the metrics with them. And in terms of what's success, every company is going to be different. Some companies are going to say, hey, if I get 3x, that's great. 2x, is great. I need 10x. So you want to understand what's success to them and more importantly, what's success to their economic buyer because those can be very different pieces. And then from there, if, again, if it's ridiculous, you always have to level set. It's very important to level set, to be candid, to make sure you guys are in alignment. If it makes sense, then you want to make sure, hey, if we want a 3x, then we need to make sure the data is there, this is there, this is there, and then we can start the pilot.
1: So when you talk about being candid as it relates to, Armand says we need to see 100x return on this, something ridiculous. How are you bringing him back to reality?
2: You could challenge him and dig deeper. Hey, you want 100x, like, you know, they're doing 1x right now in what time frame? Oh, they're doing 1x in, in four or five hours, you want 100x that? Yes, our tool can get them to a lot faster, but that's literally asking them, uh, we don't have that many hours in a day. So you have to just quantify what's going on right now. Is it realistic to make that jump and just share with them it's, it's not realistic and we're going to set up ourselves for, for failure here. You want to have that very candid, honest conversation and make sure by the end of it, that person is realigned with you and they agree to, to metrics that make sense. If not, again, that's a deal you might have to walk away so you don't waste your time there.
0: Well, what a lot of people do is they just throw themselves into POCs. And they're like, great, like here's a demo for you or a pilot for you and a pilot for you. And it's like, they're just going to love it. But the problem is if you don't have those hard conversations up front, then at the end of the POC, they look at the results and there's no compass for whether or not we achieved what we set out to achieve. But if you fight them up front and say like, hey, this is what's going to happen and these are going to be the results if it goes well, do you agree that this is what good looks like? Yes, now you can move forward. But if it's like a, eh, we'll see, eh, we'll like test it out and we'll see what the reps think. To me, that is very murky stuff. And that's a colossal waste of your time. So Daisy, let's say that we get to the end of this thing and they like what they see. The pilot was successful and now they're actually ready to buy Aurum. But they're looking at Aurum and they're also looking at a couple of other competitors as well. I'm curious, you talked about this concept of setting up options. How do you typically give your buyers options so that they feel like they have a little bit more control in the process?
2: You want to understand this from the very beginning. Options come in in a couple of forms, usually. Usually it's two pricing packages based off of headcount, or maybe it's two products within your, your packaging. You either choose product A or product B within the packages. So from the beginning of the call, you want to understand what is their growth trajectory? Are they growing like crazy? If so, that's the option you want to lean them towards. If they're not growing like crazy, but they maybe have different skill set of, of reps, or even if not, there's always a, a place to choose between two product lines, depending on how it fits for the team. So throughout the whole POC, you want to be showing if it's the former, if we're working on headcount, you can talk, you guys will have those pricing conversations, and start asking and understand what that growth looks like. If you want to lean them towards the two products during the whole POC, you want to address those, those products differently. So when we run our PLCs, we run it on one product first and then another product. So that's very obvious what the differences are. So when we go through that business case, we show product A results look like this, product B results look like this. This is what I'm seeing, this is what the team's seeing, what are you seeing? Which one are you leaning towards, A or B? When you frame it that way, they're like, oh, based on the results, like A looks better. And that's how you get them into the mindset of A or B versus like thinking about other folks and other people in the picture.
0: Sometimes I find that people will get really, really ticky tacky on pricing, or they'll say your competitors, half the price, what have you. I'm curious, are you using options in your negotiation as well to create splits or take things away throughout the negotiation?
2: If you do a really good job of bringing in the sizzle and excitement, usually your prospect will ask you what pricing is, and that shows their interest. They'll ask for the next step. They'll say, hey, what's pricing? What's next step? How do we get this going? That's where you wanna be. They are selling themselves. They are seeing what this could look like. For whatever reason, if they don't ask pricing, always make sure they address pricing. Hey, this is pricing. Pause, see what they have to say. A lot of times, there's always like pushback on pricing, as we all know. They'll share their pushback and say, hey, I, I hear you there. You know, I'm just curious, Like, do you have a budget allocated for this, or do you typically create budget? Start understanding what their budget looks like. Is Is the pricing because they don't have enough budget, or is it just because they wanna negotiate to negotiate? You gotta understand what the issues are here. And then from there, again, drill it back to the POC. This is what the POC is for. We have to understand what your success metrics are to justify this pricing. You tell me what you need to justify. Are these your success metrics? And then from there, take it another step. I get it, you know, what does your boss need to see to justify pricing for him or her? So at every layer, you're getting that consensus. So by the time you do the POC, you have that consensus. If we hit this metric, we will buy on this pricing. So when it comes to the very end, there should be no surprises, no hiccups. We've stated pricing at the very beginning. These are the metrics. Let's hit these metrics to justify it for you.
1: So Daisy, one of the things we were talking about in the prep call is like you really, really highly value your time. And you've set up some like ways that you operate your day and week and month to like make the most out of your time. And I'm curious if you can talk about some of those to us. So
2: in a sales job, it's it's a lot of energy, a lot of thinking, and you have to be smart with your energy and thinking. And so for things that can be a a scientific process, you want to make it a process so it takes away that thinking piece and just focus your thinking, your energy, your creativity when you're negotiating, when you're driving to the finish line, when you're getting to know someone, things like that. Everything else should be automated in a way to not suck up your energy. And so what I mean by that is having a very clear follow-up schedule for each person you talk to. As we all know, follow-up is very, very important. But a lot of times people will, will drift off. After you send a follow-up email, maybe you'll send one more, maybe you'll do one more call, and then you kind of just give up and that person will float away. And and then maybe two months later, you're like, oh, wasn't I talking to someone? And then there's another person and you feel a little like unorganized. Now you just spend energy and time to figure out what happened two, three months ago. Was this a person to, get, to talk to again? But if you have a very strong follow-up process for every single person, and what I mean by that is Let's say I cold call someone, they say, Hey, send me an email. Then I put in my calendar or I create a follow up task somewhere, send an email uh, a week later. And then I have to have a process. If they don't respond, do I call them? Yes, I do call them. If they don't pick up, then I have to have a process where I call them again in two weeks, I send another email, and then another three weeks. And then after you do that for a couple weeks, you space it out by month, and after that, you do every six months. And because this person is someone you don't want to disqualify, you have an actionable step, and they're somewhere in your campaign every step of the way. And it's the same thing for someone who says, not interested or unsubscribe. A lot of times people don't know what to do with those folks. They'll just leave it in their emails or delete them and say, okay, I won't talk to them again. But again, if you know you're not going to disqualify them, they're really good fit for your product, you have to have an actionable follow-up plan. That's just a process you're not thinking of. So for those instances, I recommend if anyone says unsubscribe or not interested, I pick up the phone, I call them and say, hey Bob, I just got your email. I know you're not interested. I know you said unsubscribe. The reason I was asking you was because XYZ or you know, you know, why are you not interested? Whatever the reason is, have that conversation. You'll get a little bit from them where you can create a follow-up process where maybe in two weeks you send them competitor differences, a week later you call them again, and then you have a monthly cadence. But you know where they are every step of the way. And this part should feel a little more mindless or automated, you're not having to actually think where to put them in your process. And if you operate this way, where every person has a concrete next step, then all your energy, all the creativity can be just focused on having real conversations with your warm prospects.
0: Any given day, I get slammed with, call me in six months, call me in three months, call me back later, not right now, waiting for this hire. How do you keep track of all of those follow-ups in a way that doesn't make your brain explode?
2: Yeah, I'm a big fan of using my calendar, honestly. And from there, I prioritize. So the first thing I do when I was a rep closing deals is focus on anyone at the finish line. Those come first. If I were negotiating contracts, we're at the finish line. That's like 6 a.m., the first thing I see on the calendar. Right below that, it's going to be uh, active pilots. So it's what I want to spend a lot of time on. And the third piece after that is going to be the warm the warm prospects. And so let's say I speak with someone today. It's a really hot prospect, not interested or send follow-up. A week from now, on my calendar in the warm follow-up section, I'll put, call Nick, send email. Let's say Nick doesn't pick up. A week later, I'll push him out on my calendar invite. So every week, every day, once you build this type of pipeline, you'll see your actionable things to do. close deals, work pilots, warm people follow up. And that way, you're organized. And two, you're always going to have a very, very fat pipeline every day once you start building out this process.
1: Well, Daisy, this is great. You're making me think about ways to change my workflow we got to move to the final question because we're running out of time. And the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of great things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about a shouldn't. The last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps?
2: A bad habit would be asking the prospect, can we book a meeting? So it's a bad habit for a few reasons. One, it leads to a yes or no answer. And the likely answer is probably No. Two, it provides zero value to the prospect and all the value to you as a salesperson. So instead of asking, can we book a meeting? Instead, provide value and guide them to the next meeting. So an example would be, hey Bob, how does your calendar look at three or 4 p.m. this Thursday? I can show you or my AE can show you exactly how we can do X, Y, Z for your company and achieve the X, Y, Z goal you just shared. 4 p.m., great, I'll send over an invite and chat then. This way, one, there's a much higher chance of you booking that meeting as you're guiding them towards that meeting. And two, this question and ask is focused entirely on the value you bring to your prospect, not the other way around.
1: Beautiful. Daisy, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon.
0: Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by Rocketreach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts. Again, yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go
0: Your top four takeaways from this episode with Daisy Chung include, number one, before you get into a pilot, you got to align on the success criteria. Have the hard conversations up front. Number two, during a pilot or a POC, run one product at a time. That way, so once you're actually presenting packaging, you can explain the value of each product independently. Number three, it doesn't always have to be a magical event that is happening today. Oftentimes, the cost of an action is good enough to drive timeline right now and then lastly number four the way you prioritize your time is finish line deals then your pilots then your open deals your warm follow-ups and then cold all right nick how can people help us out from here
1: if you haven't subscribed to the show you're breaking my heart it's a rejection i feel it every time that you personally listen to the show and have yet to hit the subscribe button so please help me sleep at night we'll see you next week on 30 minutes to president's club